from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, August 10th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Got some Seahawks news and updates over the weekend on Quentin Dunbar and his status now off the commissioner's exempt list after Broward County prosecutors decided not to pursue charges against him due to insufficient evidence. So we'll discuss the details of that decision. Plus, it could still impact his uh, future here in Seattle because he kill- could still see a suspension from the NFL. The Mariners ending their weekend on a high note after getting a win against the Rockies, avoiding the sweep yesterday with a 5-3 win. And maybe more importantly, the performance that you got from Justice Sheffield on the mound out there yesterday. Top chef in the kitchen cooking and uh, his longest performance of his career and then gets his first win yesterday. So pretty cool. We'll hear from Chef and we'll hear from Service on that. On also tons of news going on in the college football world. It's an ever-evolving situation. Even last night around 12 midnight Eastern time, some of the big names in college football coming together to organize and create a new message. So we'll discuss the details of that all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. We learned over the weekend that Seattle Seahawks cornerback Quentin Dunbar is reportedly being removed from the commissioner's exempt list. NFL Network's Tom Pelissero reported that on Saturday afternoon. Dunbar's removal from the exempt list allows him to rejoin the Seahawks at team headquarters, which he was expected to do as early as yesterday. Now, Dunbar could still face an NFL suspension. The news came after other news that Broward State's attorney's office in Florida announcing they were declining to file criminal charges against Dunbar in an armed robbery case that allegedly took place back in May. Prosecutors said they will still pursue the case against New York Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker, Baker being formally charged with four counts of robbery with a firearm. But prosecutors in a press release that they had on Friday citing insufficient evidence in their decision to drop the case against Dunbar. Uh, We're absolutely delighted that the Broward State's attorney's office came to the same conclusion we did, that Quentin Dunbar should never have been arrested. That was defense lawyer Andrew Ryer uh, for Quentin Dunbar, saying that they wish him the best of luck. According to the original arrest warrant back in May, New York Giants corner DeAndre Baker and Dunbar accused of stealing Monday and watches while armed with semi-automatic firearms. The warrant stated that Baker intentionally threatened victims with a firearm. Dunbar was placed on the commissioner's exempt list at the start of training camp, Uh, But now what, if any, punishment from the league could he still face just because he wasn't formally charged, of course, could still violate the personal conduct policy if the NFL conducts an investigation and finds out uh, that is the case. So we'll keep you updated on any news on that front. Meanwhile, some good news for the Mariners yesterday. In this one, Justice Sheffield going three in his young major league career looking for his first win. Williams trying to give it to him right here with one more out. The 2-0 pitch. Swung on. Popped up into shallow left field. This is going to do it. Lopes coming in. Timmy's there. Waits. And he makes the catch. The Mariners win it 5-3. And Taylor Williams hands Justice Sheffield his first Major League win. Seattle Mariners beating the Rockies 5-3 on Sunday and servicing 
it was a nice win after a often mercurial homestand. Nice win uh, after a, a rough homestand, and hopefully it continues on the road. Obviously, we've Rocky's got a really good club, and to shut them down like Chef did today was was fun to watch. Also, Justice Sheffield, as mentioned, pitching six shutout uh, innings for his first major league win. Got started in uh, the top of the first. Now the one-two on the way. Swing and a miss with a breaking ball for strike three. Justice Sheffield, first strike out of the afternoon. Gets Matt Kemp, and that's it for the Rockies. No runs, a hit, and a man left on. Top Chef, one of the big youth players. parts of this rotation one of three pitchers two 24 are younger in the Mariners starting rotation but gave up just four hits without a walk and then struck out seven in his longest outing of the season he worked his way out of a jam with strikeout to end the fifth and sat down two more Rockies in the sixth before reaching his pitch limit two outs and a 2-2 pitch Sheffield deals off-speed pitch outside corner he took it he knew it strike three called Seventh strikeout for Justice Sheffield. Six strong innings. Sheff never reached a 2-0 count and landed 16 first-pitch strikes against the 22 batters he faced. That was huge for him. I remember coming into the season, a huge goal for him uh, to be able to utilize that slider and not get behind in counts, but especially effective with his slider yesterday because of that. Scott's service on Sheff's start. Awesome performance by Sheff. Really fun to watch. Uh, I think, you know, See young guys, and we've seen some outings like that, um, you know, leading into this in you know, spring training and, and the summer camp. But to see him, you know, perform on a, on a main stage here was awesome to see. And, you know, no walks, six, seven punch outs today in total command for all six innings. He was out there, and, you know, the future is very bright uh, for him. So uh, nice uh, to get that first W for him. Chef also speaking afterwards, saying this kind of start meant everything to him means everything means the world honestly uh you know not only just for myself but um you know to come out and uh finish the series with a win before we get on the flight um you know that's always great so uh you know definitely um you know uh happy and excited about that Colorado starter Herman Marquez he's been pretty good this year he struck out four walked one in seven frames gave up six hits including one to Dylan Moore, his third home run in the bottom of the se- of the first. Here's the pitch. Swung on, fly ball deep into right center field. Blackman going back to the one-way track to the wall. Goodbye baseball. Opposite field, Dylan Moore with his third home run of the season. It comes with Crawford aboard, and right away the Mariners are on the board. It's the Mariners two and the Rockies nothing here in the bottom of the first inning, and what a drive by Moore. All-star, all-star Nolan Arenado had the day off, so at third base, Chris Owings filling in for him and had a couple of fielding and throwing errors on a routine grounder by Kyle Seeger that helped end Marquez's outing as the Mariners added three unearned runs in the seventh courtesy, first of an Evan White RBI sack fly. And a first pitch to White. Swung on, that'll there. get it done. Fly ball center field and deep. Given ground is Dahl. He's on the track. He's near the wall, makes the catch. Lewis will walk home. Seeger tags and goes to third run scores three nothing Mariners great job by Evan White put it in play drove it deep scores the run from third advances the runner to second well done Tim Lopes adding an RBI single as well Lopes hitting at 220 trying to pick up this extra run and he does base hit right field nicely done he got a breaking ball up in his eyes going away from him he went with it Banks it into right field to score. Seager and the Mariners have a 4-0 lead here in the seventh inning. Well done. 
That wasn't all, though. How about D. Gordon and RBI single as well? There's the 0-1 for D. Now the runner out there. Good speed. Here's a line drive into center field. That's going to sink in front of Charlie Blackman. Here comes Lopes around third. Here's a throw from Blackman. Not in time. Throw to second to get D. D is in there safely. 5 nothing Mariners. D. Gordon getting it done, too. The Rockies were able to get three back in the top of eight to close the gap a little bit, but that would seal it for their offense for the rest of the night. Taylor Williams on the mound for the final outs of that game and Scott Service mentioning that they've been struggling on offense. So today was good to see them get some runs going. Uh, obviously, we've been struggling uh, offensively, and to go out there and shut that team down for six innings says a lot uh, today. So, um, you know, offensively, uh, Dylan Moore continues to – do some damage. We were able to put some runs together there after the, the error that they made and some, some quality at-bats by, by guys. And I thought Evan White, even though I'm going to get hit today, uh, you know, had a couple good at-bats there late in the game. So that, that was great to see. Quick update on catcher Austin Nola. He was an unexpected scratch from the lineup while continuing to deal with a swollen wrist. A service said Nola is having trouble swinging the bat without pain after injuring his wrist Friday. Did also mention that if needed, he was ready to go into that game, but just probably wanted to give him a couple days off. And why not uh, to rest that wrist, not rush it back. Up next for the M's, they will start off the road trip and just done. The righty will be on the mound making his third start at Texas. Up next on the Blitz, some of the biggest names in college football uh, came together yesterday, and it all started with the Zoom call, some direct messages on Twitter, but uh, came together in a message united uh, across the Power Five conferences. So we'll discuss that and what it could mean for playing this fall, playing this spring. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, August 10th. Thanks for hanging out this morning, bright and early. Coming into work with a Mariners win feels pretty good. Not getting swept by the Rockies over the weekend. Maybe not having to face off against Nolan Arenado uh, also helped. But then also not having to see Charlie Blackman continue his hitting streak <laughs> is helpful. Mariners get started on their road trip. Uh, against Texas today, Justin Dunn going to be on the mound. In the meantime, plenty of headlines in the college football world over the weekend. Some of the biggest names and stars in college football coming together late last night to organize. And uh, more than a dozen college football players from all five major conferences came together to create a joint statement and effort that expressed their desire to play the 2020 season, but also sharing items they feel need to be addressed to ensure a safe working environment for student-athletes moving forward. They released a statement on social media just before midnight Eastern time yesterday, shared by dozens of college players. The group asked for uniform health and safety protocols for dealing with the coronavirus pandemic and laid out their intentions to form a college football players association in the future. That piece is huge. Uh, the statement also said players should have the chance to opt out of the upcoming football season, that they should be guaranteed another year of eligibility, whether they play this season or not. Uh, you can see the graphic that they tweeted out, uh, several big name players tweeting that out, including uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, of Clemson. But basically combining the we are united hashtag with the we want to play hashtag and saying that those efforts are now combined Stanford defensive lineman Dylan Bowles said he received a direct message on Twitter yesterday around 5.30 p.m. Pacific time from Clemson running back Darian Rencher. The two had never even spoken before, but Rencher wanted to discuss the Pac-12 players' unity movement with which Bowles was involved. 
one of the leaders of the group of around 400 players in the Pac-12 who published a list uh, of demands in the Players' Tribune wrote an article early last week and said they, they plan to sit out practice and potentially games if conference officials were unwilling to come to the table with them and meet them, address some of their concerns. Players from the Big Ten and other conferences also following suit and making similar demands and showing their support with the hashtag WeAreUnited on social media last week. Renter was one of dozens of college football players, uh, including... Heisman Trophy candidate and teammate quarterback Trevor Lawrence, who shared the hashtag we want to play this weekend as college football administrators continue to meet and debate the merits of a 2020 season. And we'll dig into that in just a moment. But Renter and others felt that fans uh, and commenters were unfairly pitting these two groups of players against each other, the we want to play contingent and the we are united group. So that's why they wanted to have this chat and get together and create a united effort. Renter Bulls and Lawrence talked briefly on FaceTime before deciding to loop in more players from around the country. That's exactly what they did. Organized a Zoom call within an hour that included players from teams across all five major conferences. Um, and some big names that you've heard on this list, including Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields, uh, Oklahoma State running back Chuba Hubbard, among several others. Student athletes said their top priority is addressing pandemic-related concerns as quickly as possible, health and safety, that number one concern. They said they hope to open a line of communication with administrators and other officials in college sports that will eventually lead to a players' association similar to the groups that provide athletes in professional sports with a say in major decisions made by the leagues for which they play. So that is also a huge key part of this moving forward. And uh, players finally realizing the power of their voice and coming together to unite here. Um, Meanwhile, commissioners of the Power Five conferences held an emergency meeting on Sunday as there is still a lot of concern and growing concern among college athletics officials that the upcoming football season and other fall sports won't be able to be played. Uh, No major major decisions made in that meeting on Sunday night, but multiple sources in several Power Five conferences, according to ESPN, uh, talked to them and said the commissioners talked about trying to collaborate if their respective presidents do decide to follow through and cancel or postpone fall sports. They also talked about in the ESPN report uh, that the Big Ten presidents following a meeting on Saturday are ready to pull the plug on uh, their fall sports season. They wanted to gauge if other commissioners and their peers, other university presidents and chancellors from other Power Five conferences uh, will follow suit. So ESPN saying in their report that a vast majority of Big Ten presidents have indicated they would vote to postpone football season, hopefully to the spring. A Big Ten official saying to telling ESPN that no official vote took place during Saturday's meeting, but that it seems to be in the favor of of that happening. The Mid-American Conference on Saturday became the first FBS league to postpone the fall sports season, including football. We actually got to hear from the MAC commissioner uh, over the weekend how heartbreaking that decision was for him, Dr. Uh, John Steinbrecher. A miserable decision. It is a decision that affects roughly 2,500 student-athletes who live for the moment to compete. Those opportunities and moments are fleeting, and our student-athletes have a limited window in which to showcase their talent, their passion, and their drive for excellence. I am heartbroken we are in this place. However, I take comfort, and I want to give assurance to our student-athletes, coaches, and fans that we will make every effort to provide competitive opportunities in the spring. 
uh, um, tough decision for him. We also got to hear from a couple of other commissioners, including Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, saying he respects the Max decision, but they're still continuing to monitor things for themselves. You're going to have to be adaptable. You're going to have to be continually flexible in your thinking and your approach. And you're going to have to make, and I've said this repeatedly, the best judgment-based decisions uh, using the available information, knowing the information won't be complete. And, and that's okay, but that's not comfortable for anyone. And so I, what, I, what I think is important is to respect their decision, uh, to understand that we've been asked about this scenario or that scenario for months now. Uh, we've made a set of decisions, as I've said, in the last few weeks that recalibrated our, our starting date. And we are going to be continually monitoring the environment around us to see how we best move forward. But according to the CSPN report, the Big Ten leaning towards canceling at least more so than any other conference. Adam Rittenberg, ESPN college football senior writer on on that reality. Watch the Big Ten. You know, they're, they're the league that's probably most likely to uh, be you know, very proactive in terms of, of, of not playing if they don't feel like they can. You know, they, they, they like all these leagues, they formed a medical panel and. Uh, they've had those discussions. And uh, you also have a commissioner in Kevin Warren who's new. So I think there's a little bit um, maybe less pressure on him to, to forge on uh, you know, that, than, than there could be for some of these longer-term commissioners. So I would certainly watch the Big Ten because of the, um, you know, the types of schools that they are, the, the type of information that they have from a medical standpoint. Presidents and chancellors of the Pac-12 universities are scheduled to meet on Tuesday. Then the ACC athletic directors will meet today, this morning, a day earlier than usual as a result of the discussions the Power 5 commissioners had over the weekend. Coming up next on The Blitz, uh, John Clayton discussing the details and developments in Quentin Dunbar's and uh, DeAndre Baker's cases and how what that could mean for Dunbar's future in Seattle. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Monday, August 10th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. A lot of details emerging in the case of Quentin Dunbar, Broward County uh, Attorney's Office, deciding that they were not going to pursue charges against him and citing insufficient evidence in their press release on Friday. NFL Giants beat writer and columnist Pat Leonard join John Clayton on Friday to discuss the details of of that case. It seemed from the very beginning that uh, the attorneys for Baker and Dunbar were at odds because, you know, it seemed like, you know, Baker's attorney was pressing one way, Dunbar's attorney was pressing another way, and it didn't seem that they were together. Right. Yes. No, exactly. It, um, it certainly seemed right from the jump that even the way that um, they turned themselves in at different times. They had different representation. And again, too, it, you know, it's, it's, it's really odd that right from the get-go, they were, they were not treated as kind of – it didn't look like they were acting as two as one. It looked like they were acting as separate individuals in the case. And you could see, once you read that initial arrest warrant, you could see – that the allegations were stronger against Baker. Not that there were not strong allegations against Dunbar, but it did appear that right from the get-go, Baker was pretty consistently or very consistently accused across the board by the alleged victims of having a gun 
and pointing it at people and accusing or telling one of his accomplices to shoot one of the alleged victims, and thankfully he did not shoot him. Um, and Dunbar was described as being a part of the armed robbery and helping to rob people, but it was there was conflicting information early on of whether he even had a gun. Um, and so, but you're you're absolutely right. It, it, from the early on, it was certainly alarming um, and kind of surprising to see these things break off in a couple different directions. Um, I am still, even though I it doesn't surprise me that Dunbar isn't being charged because of the recanted statements in their presence. It doesn't surprise me, but it still alarms me in the sense that there really is so much, including this payoff cover-up uh, situation. You know, obviously, the, it wasn't Baker's attorney whose office uh, these recanted statements happened at. It isn't Baker's attorney's office where um, 60 grand or 55 grand exchanged hands, allegedly, according to this evidence that showed up in this search warrant. It, this was Quentin Dunbar's former attorney who then recused himself from the case, who now is reportedly under investigation by the Florida Bar Association. So, you know, the presence of facts like that, um, the fact that the witness, Dominic Johnson, who knows both Dunbar and Baker, in that search warrant places essentially both in NFL players at the scene and in his Instagram messages to people describes how he got people to say, that these guys didn't do what they say they did, that they didn't rob them like they did. He mentions that he brought three NFL players, three, by the way, three NFL players to the party and that everything went wrong and that he was being blamed. But so the, the presence of that kind of evidence does make you kind of raise your eyebrows and shake your head and wonder how Dunbar isn't being charged, even though, of course, like we said right off the bat, there are obvious reasons based on the inconsistencies in these testimonies why it looks like you could poke holes in the case against him as well. What do you, because I know the, I don't know, did the, the Players Association file a grievance on the exempt ruling for Baker? Because I know I saw the grievance that uh, the Players Association, uh, you know, did on with, with Quentin Dunbar because basically saying it's like, hey, he's not been formally charged. How can you have him on the exempt list? So what did they right. do one for Baker? Yes, yes. Baker did appeal immediately. Um, though I, I just saw somebody report, I, I didn't follow up on this yet, but I just saw somebody report that the appeal would be void at this juncture if he is, if he is formally charged, then he, then you wouldn't win the appeal or it would just be eliminated. I don't know if that's fact or not. I just, I saw somebody reporting that a few minutes ago. Um, but, uh, to your point earlier too, the, uh, you know, before anything like that is resolved, um, I would expect swift action from the NFL and the Giants in in the near future. Uh, but again, like you said, these things progress and take time, and um, you know, information trickles out here and there. And like you said, this case, depending on when the next court date is and how this progresses, he's on the exempt list, so he's not near the team. And he won't be near the team until this is over. David Ovalle, also of the Miami Herald, joining Tom, Jake, and Stacey on Friday to discuss the details of Dunbar's case as well. So it's it's interesting because the next question that we are having as Seahawks fans is, and and reporters is okay with Quentin Dunbar now have you know not having 
uh, a case against him now, uh, the NFL sometimes can take things into their own hands from a personal conduct policy. Is there anything in this case, obviously the um, potential bribery here, but is there anything left in this case of Quentin Dunbar that the NFL could look at and say, maybe the NFL wasn't able to stick, or the, the legal system wasn't able to have something stick on, on Dunbar, but there's still a lot of evidence that's out there that just wasn't able to formulate and come together against him. You know, that's, that's always one of the rubs with the NFL, right? I mean, there's always their sort of arbitrary system of punishment um, doesn't always align with, with what happens in the criminal justice system, right? Like you saw with, with Ray Rice, you know, what was it? He got, he got two games, and then when the video comes out, suddenly he gets six games, and now, you know, and, and, and they were never able to actually charge him with anything criminally. So um, I honestly have no idea. I mean, if it's one of those things where it's like a big headache for the league, they, you know, they, they'll tend to find a way to pigeonhole whatever, um, whatever looks bad into, into a, some sort of punishment. Um, but in, in this case, I, I, it would be hard for me to think that Dunbar is going to get is going to get uh, suspended for any length of time, only because one, he's not like like some major star, you know. I mean, I mean, I know he's important to the Seahawks' plans, but he's not like, you know, it's not like a Ray Rice caliber type of person. And and also, it's not so clear cut they did uh, anything wrong other than just be at a at a uh, at a party where a robbery took place. So, is that investigation against Michael Greco still ongoing? And if it is say that he's found guilty of helping to pay off witnesses or whatever, does that then affect Dunbar in any way? Or is he now just kind of in the clear, no matter what happens with Grieco's case? It's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess it, I don't think it would matter for, um, might not matter for the NFL's case, but, yeah. um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't think Grieco's going to end up getting dinged with anything yeah. um, because he's going to say, well, I wasn't inside the, the you know, I don't know what they were doing in there. I just, it, I just facilitated a meeting for them to sign every all the the witness statements in my office. You know, I had no idea they were going in there with bags. So he's got like enough plausible deniability. He's got a private investigator and a notary that were, you know, are going to say the same thing. So, so that while the ongoing, while the investigation is still ongoing, I doubt he's going to get dinged with much anything. Possibly a Florida bar, you know, violation, but nothing criminal, nothing like that. That's just my best guess. Um, but the other guy, that's going to be the interesting case. This guy, um, Dominique Johnson, they call him coach. He's sort of like, like buddies with DeAndre and with Quentin. Um, and uh, so I know there's still, the investigation is still going in, into him. But a lot of that would kind of depend, you know, Dunbar in theory, in theory, could still um, face some sort of uh, witness tampering if, if uh, you know, if that guy ends up getting arrested and then, you know, there's some concrete plan that gets unveiled that, yes, you know, this was what the whole plan was to begin with to pay off these guys. But, I mean, it's going to be tough, man. Credibility of your, of your witnesses and your victims is always a very important thing in the criminal justice system. And, um, and a lot of those guys that, that had gotten uh, uh, robbed, um, you know, they're going to get beaten up on the stand when they testify. I mean, sometimes when you... You know, there's a there's a high profile legal case like the Duke lacrosse case, for example. The prosecutor in that town 
wanted to make that a big spectacle and he wanted to make that a big deal for himself. It doesn't really sound like the prosecutors here are targeting Dunbar specifically, right? It's, it doesn't sound like that's a priority for them. Yeah, and frankly, I don't even think they they care all that much about DeAndre Baker in terms of, of uh, you know, high-profile um, defendants. I mean, remember, this is Broward County. Um, this is this is where Parkland is. The the school shooting at Parkland is and will be the biggest uh, case awaiting trial for for many years. Um, and you know, there's all kinds of crazy other things that happen, um, not just in Broward but in Miami Dade. And these guys aren't exactly. I mean, they ain't exactly like you know OJ uh, the OJ trial or anything. So um, I don't I don't suspect that they're going after. Um, these guys with any particular zeal other than what they think they can prove under the law. That full interview is available for you at 710sports.com. Just click on the podcast tab. Up next on the Blitz, a 23-year-old champion yesterday and some pretty incredible shots on a Sunday afternoon, the PGA Championship. Uh, pretty cool day for Colin Morikawa, and we'll discuss. We'll hear from him. It's next in the Hot List right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Alaska Airlines Studio. This is the Blitz. It's time for the Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at six forty-five. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Well, the Mid-American Conference on Saturday became the first FBS league to postpone the fall sports season, including football. We heard from the MAC commissioner, Dr. John Steinbrecher, over the weekend on the decision to cancel fall sports, which was, in his words, heartbreaking for him. Clearly, we are charting a conservative path, and it is one that has been recommended by our medical advisory group. There are simply too many unknowns for us to put our student-athletes in situations that are not clearly understood. We have traditionally been a leader on student-athlete well-being issues. This has not been an easy decision, but for the Mid-American Conference, it is the right decision. Also talked about his regret over making this decision. I'm crushed by this decision. I am, um, uh, I am so disappointed. Um, gosh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it, it's just crushing that we can't um, facilitate the opportunities this fall because of circumstances around us. Um, I, <laughs> I, 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 that is just, I, I'm heartbroken on that. The flip side is I take comfort and I would say I, our, our presidents would take comfort and I would assume our, all others that we're making decisions for the right reasons. Said he was heartbroken that because this affects about 2,500 uh, student athletes and more people beyond that, of course, uh, lots of jobs involved in this as well. Uh, that he was really heartbroken, and also some people saying, you know, never want to be first, but that it was right for their conference. Uh, we'll discuss more on college football and the Power Five conferences meeting over the weekend in a moment, but also over this weekend, MLB with a bit of a blow, especially for the St. Louis Cardinals, the Pittsburgh Pirates series. This week against the Cardinals has been postponed because of the coronavirus. MLB announced the two teams were scheduled to play Monday through Wednesday in St. Louis. MLB said Sunday night that the league and the Cardinals, quote, believe it's prudent to conduct additional testing while players and staff are quarantined. 
before the team returns to play. Cardinals' three-game series against the Cubs this weekend was also postponed after the league said two Cardinals players and one staff member tested positive for COVID-19 from samples collected over the previous two days. We heard from Cardinals GM John Mozalik over the weekend uh, was asked if at this point he's having doubts about finishing the season. You know, clearly it's not solely my decision how we think through that. But, you know, I think stop starts are difficult. I think, uh, you know, from players, staff to employees, it's, you know, emotionally we're, we're pulling on a lot of different cords here. And, you know, to, to think that we were going to play tonight and then to find out late last night that the likelihood of that was not going to happen, you know, certainly disappointing. I know everybody involved just wants to get back to baseball, but I know everybody involved, too, also wants to be safe. Mosey like saying it's definitely frustrating for everyone involved. As of right now, I don't know what really our future looks like at this point. All I know is, is that we've lost three, these three games, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll certainly uh, take this day by day. You know, for all the optimism we had a couple days ago, be where we are today, it's 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 definitely um, frustrating for everybody involved. 23-year-old Colin Morikawa won the PGA Championship yesterday after a chip in for birdie to break out of a seven-way tie, then a tee shot for eagle. Six under 64 for the best closing round by a PGA champion in 25 years. Morikawa won Sunday with a two-shot victory over Paul Casey and Dustin Johnson. Golf's latest major champion was still in the vicinity of Harding Park just a year ago, finishing up his degree at California and his All-American career there. He only played Harding Park about a dozen times while in college. Now he has three PGA Tour victories and is number five in the world, taking his place a lot among the young stars and uh, beating out some world-class players yesterday. Morikawa became the sixth player to capture this major before turning 24. So congrats to him. An exciting day in the Astros-A's game yesterday. We were watching the M's game, but I admit we had to uh, flip over and and see what was happening in the seventh inning. Bench is cleared during Oakland's 7-2 victory over the Astros. The Astros swept in that series, by the way. You hate to see it. The Athletics' ninth straight win was uh, maybe overshadowed a little bit by what erupted in the seventh inning. It came less than two weeks after the Astros had a little dust-up with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Oakland's Ramon Laureano got hit by a pitch for the third time in the three-game series, I believe the second time in that game. This This one by Umberto Castellanos with one out in the seventh. He pointed at the rookie right-hander. Actually, I mean, I rewatched it, not just pointing, but I'm pretty sure he's giving him tips on how to throw his off-speed pitch, on how to grip his off-speed pitch as he walked up the first baseline. Loriano then began exchanging words with an Astros coach, Astros hitting coach, Alex Cintron, um, left first base, ended up throwing down his batting helmet and began charging towards him in the first base dugout, but being provoked by an Astros coach, Let's listen to it uh, as broadcast on uh, on A's radio. 3-2. Look out. Curveball backed up on Castellanos and hit Laureano in the backside. And he's not happy. And now Laureano's barking a little bit. He's had enough. He's hit twice today. You can't blame him as Laureano was plunked for the fifth time this year, even though it wasn't much. Just frustrated with the frustrations of Houston. Yeah, I'm not target practice here. Yeah. Come on. This is the big leagues. Laureano walking up the first baseline. He's joined by 
When the umpires, Adrian Johnson, Ted Barrett, the crew chief, is going to walk down the line and try to settle things. Both benches began some movement out of their dugouts, but nothing really happened. Look, there, well, there, there's no intent. I, I understand that, but still, it just was a it was a bad look. And now Laureano's racing toward the Astros dugout. He's going after somebody, and he's tackled by several Astros. And now we have a real Donnybrook. Something that was completely frowned upon in 2020. And both teams are pushing and shoving each other in front of the Astros dugout. And it has not stopped yet. Yeah, and this the, you're right. It's the first time it's happened. First time it's happened in baseball this year. And obviously the protocols say that you're not supposed to do this. And the reality is, as frustrated as Ramon Laureano is, he just made an absolutely huge mistake. Because it's going to cost him games. A lot of games for doing this. He did, went into a dead sprint toward the Astros dugout. Now, certainly he might have been provoked. There might have been something he heard from the Astros dugout, again, with no crowds. And this is something we talked about even back in summer camp, the worries around baseball, is that you were going to hear chirping on both sides of the dugout. And now you hear Ted Barrett, the home, one of the umpires and the crew chief, he is yelling back at the A's to get back to their dugout. The Astros are doing the same thing. Yeah, players rushed out of both dugouts to join the fray. Yes, something that was expressly forbidden in 2020. Also, players who are sitting in the seats, you know, behind the dugouts, uh, also rushed onto the field. Several Astros streamed out from their tunnel area. Loriano, after the dust settled, ended up being ejected by home plate up Ted Barrett. Also, A's catcher Austin Allen ejected. It was a half inning before that Astros manager Dusty Baker was tossed, so he actually didn't see it, but uh, or in person, uh, just on highlights. But for arguing balls and strikes, uh, he said he was reserving judgment at the time, and he couldn't get the game feed even on his club, clubhouse TV. So he literally watched it after it had happened, uh, just a half inning, half inning before Dusty ejected. Houston ended up losing its fifth game in a row overall. Uh, but now, unfortunately for Oakland, maybe the hottest team in baseball, they will face Loriano, probably likely missing time, facing discipline for that, potentially also for Astros hitting coach uh, Citron, since he was actively involved in provoking Loriano in that moment. I would imagine also some punishment coming his way. Well, some of the biggest stars in college football have organized. Uh, over a dozen college football players from all five major conferences came together to create a joint statement that expressed their desire to play the 2020 season, but also shared items that they feel need to be addressed to ensure a safe environment for student athletes moving forward. It was a graphic that they created uniting the We Are United hashtags and the We Want to Play hashtags. Um, because a lot of players felt that they had been pitted against each other almost with those two movements. And actually, they have a lot more in common and now uniting those two. So the graphic they tweeted out included, hey, we all want to play football this season, uh, but asked for things like establishing universal mandated health and safety procedures and protocols to protect college athletes against COVID-19 among all conferences throughout the NCAA giving players the opportunity to opt out and respect their decision, guaranteeing eligibility whether a player chooses to play this season or not, and then use our voices to establish open communication and trust between players and officials, ultimately create a college football players association. So seeing that they now have a power here and uh, an ability to unite, create a union of sorts moving here forward. So we'll keep you updated on that. Meanwhile, over the weekend, representatives from Power 5 conferences calling an emergency meeting yesterday 
And while no major decisions were made in that in that meeting, it does sound like the Big Ten is leaning towards, uh, according to the ESPN report, leaning towards canceling fall sports and postponing them uh, until the spring. So that would impact, obviously, football. Um, but they wanted to have this meeting to see how the other five conferences were feeling and if they would end up joining in with them. But the Big Ten, as of now, perhaps going to lead the way for the Power Five on that. Also over the weekend, we learned that Seattle Seahawks cornerback Quentin Dunbar reportedly being removed from the commissioner's exempt list. NFL Network's Tom Pelissero reported that on Saturday afternoon. Dunbar's removal from the exempt list allows him to rejoin the Seahawks at team headquarters, which he was expected to do as early as yesterday, but he could still face an NFL suspension as part of a violation of the personal conduct policy, but as of now, at least able to rejoin the Seahawks. Uh, congrats to Justice Sheffield yesterday, who had a really impressive performance. The Mariners beat the Colorado Rockies 5-3 to on Sunday. Sheffield pitched six shutout innings for his first major league win. One of three pitchers, 24 or younger, in the Mariners' starting rotation. So still getting a lot of experience under his belt, but gave up just four hits without a walk and struck out seven in his longest outing of the season. Also impressive to see him work out of some jams. Um, Worked out of a jam with a strikeout to end the fifth, then sat down two more Rockies in the sixth before reaching his pitch limit. Two outs and a 2-2 pitch. Sheffield deals. Off-speed pitch. Outside corner. He took it. He knew it. Strike three called. Seventh strikeout for Justice Sheffield. Six strong innings. Sheff never reached a 2-0 count. That's huge for him. Landed 16 first pitch strikes, so was aggressive going after batters against the 22 batters he faced. Also able to use that slider, and that's what happens when you get ahead in counts and you don't fall behind. So uh, Justice yesterday saying this kind of start, well, it means everything to him. It means everything. It means the world, honestly. Uh, you know, not only just for myself, but, um, you know, to come out and uh, finish the series with a win before we get on a flight, um, you know, that's always great. So, uh, you know, definitely, um, you know, uh, happy and excited about that. The Mariners now wrapping up their homestand, and they'll head out and face off against Texas today. Justin Dunn on the mound. That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz. It's hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.